Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. The church is a light to the rest of the world. It shines in the darkness. But in order to get there, we have to put aside our own grumbling. We have to work together and learn how to be a body. You're listening to Shine Like Stars by Reverend Mike Hogaboom. God's word comes to us this evening from Philippians, the epistle of the Philippians, chapter 2, 12 to 18. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. And I was was thinking about where to fit this in, and it didn't really fit in the service. So before I read, and it doesn't fit sort of after the reading and, and before the sermon, so I'll just tell you this, you know, preparing to preach is always a, a, an adventure. And uh, this time in particular, and this happens not infrequently, uh, but I, I think it fits tonight. Sometimes you're, you're working on a sermon and suddenly it hits you that this is a sermon for you. <laughs> so if y'all want to listen to this sermon that I'm mostly preaching to myself tonight, please join me in that and you'll, you'll see a little bit what I mean later. But uh, Philippians chapter 2, um, this is a wonderful passage about Paul's vision uh, for the church in a dark world. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, maybe you can tell in that passage right there, but, but certainly when you read the opening to the book of Philippians, Paul loves this congregation. He loves this congregation. And so I want to read to you from the opening and try to imagine yourself in that little congregation and, and, you're here, and you know that this letter has come from Paul who's imprisoned in Rome and, it, and you're gathered on a Sunday and, and you hear these words from the pastor that planted the church. And you'll hear it in English in this repetition of the word all. I think you'll just hear Paul building up and expressing his deep love and admiration for this church. Here's what Paul says. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayer for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day, this church has responded to the gospel. The story is recorded in Acts chapter 16, and and Paul um, 
came to Philippi, and there was no synagogue in that city. So you remember, maybe you remember, he went down to the river, and it was there that he found women on the Sabbath day praying and worshiping God. And it was to the women that Paul preached, and they responded. Remember, this is the city of Lydia. Lydia, a businesswoman, and she was one of those who responded immediately to the gospel. And it moved her so much that she welcomed Paul and Silas and Timothy into her home. Her household was baptized. She became, and her household became sort of the first church there in Philippi. And she became a leader in that church. Paul loved the church in in Philippi because it it was made up of Gentiles in a Gentile city. And this was at the heart of the gospel that Paul had received from Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul went around preaching that that God's covenant embrace was being extended because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and welcoming in people uh, from every nation, tribe, and tongue to the Galatians. Remember, Paul described it this way, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female. This was the the heart of the gospel that Paul preached. And this church in Philippi was the fruit of that gospel. He loved this church. He also loved this church because they were faithful in their gospel proclamation, their gospel witness in a very dark city. And Philippi was a dark city. It was a city that had strong ties to Rome. So at this period, persecution from Rome against the Christians was on the rise. Paul is imprisoned in Rome at this time. And uh, so Paul is aware of that. So if there's persecution in the Roman Empire, it's certainly happening in Philippi. It was a dark city we know from Acts chapter 16. It was the kind of place where where men exploited uh, slave girls to tell the future and um, for money. And then when Paul and Silas cast the demon out of that slave girl, it was those men, the owners, who had them arrested, beaten, thrown into jail without a trial, which they deserved. Philippi was the kind of place where power could subvert justice. Philippi was a dark city. But for all that, when you read the book, that is, I'll say, a minor plot line in the letter. This dark culture, this dark city that the church of Philippi has been planted in. Paul's major concern seems to be more about the inner workings of the church, the fabric of their fellowship, of their unity, if you will. One way to um, raise a question that the letter of Philippians answers uh, is like this. This is a letter or it answers the question, how do saved people, how do saved people live out the gospel, live out their salvation? 
How do saved people live out their salvation together with other saved people in such a way that the church is a light in a dark culture? How do saved people live out their salvation with other saved people in community with other saved people so that their church is a light in a dark culture? Or maybe a little more earthy way to say the same thing or ask the same question would be how do saved people who live in community and get on each other's nerves live in such a way that their salvation is a light in a dark community? Because apparently the church in Philippi was getting on each other's nerves. Paul talks about grumbling and arguing. No social media, no no email messages flying back and forth from Philippi to Rome, but somehow Paul knows that the members of the church of Philippi are known for their, becoming known for their arguing, for their grumbling. I don't know about you, but I wish I knew what that grumbling was about. Something about, I'm just curious about that. Did they grumble a little bit like families grumble today, like church families grumble? I I don't think I know a pastor, or let me say it this way, every pastor I know can tell you a story about the time their church changed the color of the carpeting. There was grumbling. You know, right, when we put the railings up, grumbling. You'll see me in the wintertime with my stocking cap on in my office, and it's because I'm grumbling because it seems to be the coldest office in the whole place. Grumbling. Grumbling about the coffee. Grumbling about the heat. Grumbling about the cold. Church families grumble. And I wonder what the church in Philippi grumbled about. You know, it was... Was, uh, was there a little bit of conflict going on between the household of Lydia, the household of the Philippian jailer also, and a little contest about who brought the best lasagna to the church potluck? Maybe, and this could be the case because Paul talks about this in chapter 4, maybe, maybe it has to do with Yodia and Syntyche. They are grumbling Paul calls them fellow workers with him. They they preach the gospel. They proclaim the gospel in that dark city of Philippi side by side with him, Paul says. Maybe they were grumbling for the lack of volunteers because Paul says, help these women in their ministry. But really, we don't know. We don't know what the grumbling was about. And maybe... It's just the grumbling that's the problem. Maybe the grumbling and the arguing is a symptom on the surface that reveals a deeper problem that's pulling apart the fabric of that congregation. Paul actually gives us a hint that that may be the case in in verse 15. In verse 15, he he borrows this phrase from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Paul says, You are the children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That comes from Deuteronomy 32 verse 5. Now, 
you probably know this, but let me just remind you. The book of Deuteronomy is written to God's second-generation Israelites. They are the ones standing on the border of the promised land, right? They're about to enter into the promised land. Moses has written or spoken the book of um, Deuteronomy to them as his final sermon, his last words of advice. And in that book, he looks back at the first generation who's, and he tracks their journey, a journey that is marked by their gravestones and their cemeteries of that first generation because that journey of 40 years, they were like kids in the backseat on a long road trip. They grumbled about the food. They grumbled about the water. They grumbled about their leaders, Moses, Aaron, Miriam. They grumbled about the giants in the land. They grumbled because they had to wait too long at Mount Sinai for God to deliver the Ten Commandments. And the grumbling of God's people at that time was a symptom of a lack of love and trust in one another and in God. And it was because of that lack of love and trust for one another and for God that they turned their hearts toward idol worship, the golden calf. They uh, selected, tried to select at different times their own leaders who would tell them what they wanted to hear. Paul seems to be warning the church in Philippi that their grumbling and their arguing is a symptom of, of a church fellowship that's eroding and it's pulling apart their love and their trust for one another and their love and trust for God. And the danger in that is as their love and trust um, is eroded, the church the church's light, the church's gospel witness in a dark world diminishes. When I think of how Paul describes the church here in Philippians, shining like stars in a dark universe, it brings to mind uh, that uh, Vincent van Gogh painting, Starry Night. Even if you're not an art historian, you are probably familiar with the painting, right? Across the top of that painting, the top of the canvas, this blue, the blue heavens are a swirl that sort of chase each other across the canvas. And, and there are these brilliant, bright yellow stars that, that show up in the heavens. And it's punctuated by this brilliant yellow crescent moon. That's the top of the painting. And then in the foreground is uh, a cypress tree, which seems to, well, off the canvas, but is rooted in the ground and, 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 and touches the heavens. And then in the midsection of that painting is the village, nestled down in that valley. And all the, all the homes, the buildings in, the, in that village, there are lights shining out of the windows, 
like a reflection of the stars in the heavens. I'm sure you've seen the painting. I was reading this week um, an analysis of that painting uh, from Kathleen Powers Erickson. She's an art historian. And she points out um, in that village, all those lights shining out of the buildings in that village, there's one building where the lights do not shine, that do not reflect. And it's the church. I think that's what's on Paul's heart as he writes this letter to this church that he loves passionately. Paul is concerned that the love and and trust of this congregation is being pulled apart. This grumbling and arguing is just a symptom of, of a deeper problem in that church. And that is... That's jeopardizing their mission to shine like stars in a very dark place. Now, if if grumbling and arguing pulls apart the fabric of of a church, of of a fellowship of believers, then, then how can the church knit a stronger sense of fellowship, of community, How can can the church knit back together this love and this trust? Paul provides an answer for us in this letter. And the answer is really clear. The the, the working it out is is where it gets uh, difficult. But let's just start with what's clear. In chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to that beautiful hymn of Jesus' incarnation. And in that hymn, we see Jesus' mindset in action. His mindset of letting go of his position and moving in the direction of brokenness. Moving in the direction of the tearing of creation. Moving in the direction of darkness. For example, Jesus let go of the glory of heaven and he made his dwelling with us. He becomes a refugee when Herod is after him. He has no place to lay his head. Jesus lets go of the home in heaven and he makes his dwelling with us. Paul says Jesus let go of being Lord and master of the universe and he makes himself a servant. He reached out and touched lepers, and they were healed. He forgave adulterers. He set tax collectors' feet free, and he washed the dirty, stinking feet of the disciples at Passover. He let go, Paul says, of being immortal God and became human with us, which means he had to grow up. He had to grow up in stature. And strength. He had to learn the Torah. He had to learn how to build a wall that was both square and straight. He had to learn how to seal a leak on a boat. His feet got blisters. He sweat drops of blood. And he died on the cross. Jesus let go of glory and 
power and he moves in the direction of brokenness and darkness. And through that sacrifice, he knits back together a frayed creation. In his resurrection, brokenness is made whole. And what's torn is mended and and what's dark is pushed back by this new light of Jesus. In the same way, when the church moves toward need, moves toward brokenness, something happens to our love and our trust. It's strengthened because we rely on God's power working through us. And for people who are lost in a dark world, a church like that is is a north star pointing the way home to Jesus. Friends, I am happy to tell you that there are all sorts of ways that, that we are mending love and trust in this body of Christ. It's happening in our crossroads prison ministry Bible studies. It's It's happening in our Colossians way and challenging conversation groups where people talk about really hard things and then have to, they say hard things and they have to repent to each other and they forgive each other. It's happening there. It's happening in our Kids Hope program. It's happening in counseling sessions and pastoral care. It's youth ministry. I don't have time to tell you all the stories, so I'll just tell you one. It comes from our Kids Hope program. One of the strengths of that program is, is the relationship that we've been able to build and maintain and nurture over many years with Congress Elementary School. A large part of that has to do with the mentors who show up faithfully serving students there. It has to do with uh, the prayer partners who are praying for those mentoring relationships. And it, and it has a lot to do with Lisa and Elizabeth, who are there consistently day after day, kind of talking to the administration and staff and making sure that, that we have what we need to, to mentor well these students. This story happened a few years ago, sort of the before times, before COVID, that is. And... Um, it has to do with a teacher there. Her name is Jill. Well, I'll call her Jill. She's a real teacher. She's actually no longer teaching at Congress School, but we'll get to that. Um, but Elizabeth uh, got to know Jill over the course of the year, and she was in the process of getting to know her when they were walking down the hall, and they were passing each other, going in different directions. And, and Jill stopped Elizabeth, and she said, Hey, Elizabeth, where do you get all these mentors from? Where do you get all these mentors from? Elizabeth said, well, they come from our church, my church. We all go to church together, LaGrave Church. It's not too far from here. Okay, but what do you do to get them to volunteer? Elizabeth said, I invite them. Is that, is that what you mean? Jill says, well, yeah, but no. Like She says, do you pay them? No, Elizabeth said, no, they don't get paid. They're volunteers. You see, they feel called to serve people. This is how they serve. Okay, but they must get something for their, in return for their work. 
what do they get in return for their work? Is that, do they get points in heaven? No, Elizabeth said, that's, that's not how heaven works. God's love is a gift. And we serve as a way to say thank you to God. That was it. There was no live stream to capture that conversation. Uh, there were no angel choirs, at least that we could hear. It was kind of unremarkable. And then a year passes, and Jill, Jill goes through a dark season in her life. And Elizabeth and Lisa hear about it, and the mentors who have students from Jill's class hear about it. And then slowly and steadily, they walk with Jill through that darkness. They show her care, and they show her love, and they, they show her support. Jill has moved on now from Congress, but she and Elizabeth are still friends. She's come to church here once in a while. It's just that steady, faithful service of mentors, sort of giving up each and every week, showing up, serving students. And that, that service shone like a star to Jill, who was lost in a dark season, in a dark world. Friends, this is Paul's vision for the church. That the church, that the church is a north star for people who are lost in a dark world, and it helps them find their way home to Jesus. It's when we let go of our self-interest, when we move in the direction of need, serving others, and there are plenty of needs. There are needs in this church, and there are needs in this community, but when the church does that together, then lost people, lost people find their way home to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, let us practice loving one another, loving you as we grow in confession and forgiveness and prayer and service so that people who are lost and in darkness will find their way home in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.